Good morning. It's good to see you all here today. Uh, I am Matthew Nicosia, and my family came in from California on Thursday, the San Francisco Bay Area. And in case you didn't catch all the names, my wife's name is Laura, and we've got Judah, Benjamin, and Alethea. And uh, I know I certainly, and my wife, we'd be thrilled to get to get to know you a little bit better here after the service uh, today. So we'll be out there in, in the lobby, and we'll hang out as long as, I guess, we're allowed to hang out here. So we would love, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so my family, uh, Laura and I, we've been married for uh, going on 20 years now this December, and uh, we're just blessed that God has preserved us and kept us and, and shown us his glory in marriage, because marriage is hard, right? But he changes us, he transforms us transforms us, and then he's transforming us as a mom and a dad as well, and so what a journey it's been. Uh, I'm the associate pastor currently at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, California. It's a very dear place to us, but we're going to be talking about a theme this morning from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you're probably pretty familiar with this passage, right? It's called the love chapter. Uh, My wife and I and our family, we're passionate for the church. We're passionate for the church. And I don't say that to try and pat myself on the back or ourselves on the back, but we've just experienced something from the church that we've experienced from no one and nowhere else. And we're going to talk about what we've experienced this morning. It's a little word called love. Love. And and what I've loved about this weekend is getting to have some conversations already with many of the members here at Fairfax Bible Church. And the theme I keep hearing over and over again is that this is a loving church. This is a church that is a loving community. And that's what I love about the church. That's why I'm passionate about it is because the love that we've received, my wife and I ourselves, our our marriage started out really tough, really rocky. Uh, It was not ideal circumstances, but the community of, of Jesus The community of God our Father, the family surrounded us and loved us in our time of need. So I'm passionate about the the church because it's at the church where I felt love more than anywhere else. And we're going to take a look at that today. And and our big idea, we're going to get to that in just a moment, is, is love is always the answer. Love is always the answer. But before we get there, I want to ask the question, what's love? What is it? I mean, we can kind of feel it, we can kind of see it, right? But sometimes it's really hard to describe. And so I'm going to ask someone here that uh, I've, I've got to hear her voice uh, many times on the radio as a, as a kid. I'm 42 years old. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and if you remember the great Tina Turner, right? Uh, if you remember Tina Turner from the 80s, she had this huge hair. It kind of epitomized the huge hair of the 1980s. And we actually watched the video my kids did, and they laughed through the whole thing just seeing the the styles of the 80s, but Tina Turner had a great song in 1984 called, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love Got to Do With It? And here's how the chorus goes. I'm not going to sing it. Oh, what's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? And so throughout the, the, the verses of the song, it's, it's kind of cynical. It's kind of jaded. It's, it's kind of like, you know what? It's, well, who cares about love? Let's just focus on the attraction between a man and a woman. And who knows what could happen after that. But this love thing, forget about it. But then we get into the chorus and we realize, oh, here's why she's saying that. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? 
Why would we open ourselves up? Why would we allow ourselves to either offer or receive love when we know that that can make us more vulnerable than we've ever felt before? And in our day and age, in our culture, uh, you know, it's not, I'm sure it's been tough here in Northern Virginia, right? It's been tough in Northern California too, in the San Francisco Bay Area. We've been feeling it. We've been seeing challenges and obstacles every single day, sometimes by the hour, to continue to live in love. And so I don't know about you, but it's forced me to ask some questions. Maybe we ought to come up with a different game plan. You know, when people are start putting up their fists and they want to fight, they want to argue, I think to myself, maybe we've got to come up with another strategy. And I've felt it. As a pastor, I've seen it. It's like, you know what, I'm not sure that this works anymore. I feel defensive. Sometimes I feel like those that I'm called to lead are actually coming to attack me at times, and I'm sure they've felt the same way from me at times. We see it on social media. We see it in the news. Unfortunately, we see it around our dinner tables even, right? These, this posture of defensiveness, this posture of fist up, let's go, it's time to fight, because... Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken, right? So the best our world can do is just boil down love into selfish, transactional paradigms. We don't need love. Let's just see one another as a means to an end. Uh, we, we think about these transactions. Uh, first of all, love is it's tribal, right? It's, it's factional. If you don't belong to my tribe, if, if you don't belong to my set of beliefs and values, you're out, but I'll love as long as you get all of the T's crossed and I's dotted, Right? you got to have all the same beliefs. you got to have all the same ideas. If not, just go ahead and see yourself out the door because love is very tribal, and we've seen that, haven't we? Well, we've also seen that love is merely erotic at times. It's just for my own self-gratification. It's, it's to meet my preferences and desires. Again, it's transactional. My love will possibly be offered to you if you can meet my needs, if you can satisfy my desires. And that's, so, that's what our world has boiled love down to. It's tribal. It's erotic. It meets our needs and it has to meet our criteria. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, the city of Corinth. In fact, uh, my, my mentor and, and, and senior pastor back in, in California, he once did a series called uh, Once Corinthians, Now Californians. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, could you say Once Corinthians, Now Virginians? It doesn't have quite the same ring to it. But, but to think through the issues that, were, that these, this church was being faced with in Corinth, and, and not just from the outside, but from within as well. You see, the, the Corinthians, they were experiencing these tribal types of, 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 of transactions, and they were factional, and they were dividing themselves in, into the types of leaders that they want to follow, right? It was, became very political. And if you didn't belong to, to that tribe, then you started to extend your arm as a, in a defensive nature to say, I, I don't know that I can extend love to you any longer. Not only that, but they were compromising their ethics on marriage and sexuality. Isn't that interesting? Divisions, factions, uh, uh, an ambiguous type of love, compromising ethics on marriage and sexuality. What goes around comes around. Amen? And so we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and I would say the Apostle Paul would, would answer Tina Turner when she asks, what what's love got to do with it? He would say, everything. Everything. What's love got to do with it? Everything. And so we're going to take a look at our text this morning, and we're going to see this big idea that we've got in this text is that love is always the answer. But before we read the scriptures together, let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today, 
And we remember Psalm 119, verse 18, that says, Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. You've already said it. It's already written. And so the issue this morning isn't with your word. It's with our hearts. So would you open my eyes, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts today so that we may receive your word for what it is, a treasure, beautiful, wonderful, that it corrects us and trains us. Oh, we want it all today. Oh, if there's any here today, including myself, that needs to repent, would you show us? Show us the sin and error of our ways that we may become more like your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 31. That's where we're going to start, and we'll read through chapter 13 together. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Follow along as I read aloud. It says this, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Amen. Well, let's take a look here. Uh, again, uh, Paul is in the middle of a, uh, a description about spiritual gifts. Not only were the, were the Corinthians, were they enamored with, with the politics of which leader they wanted to, to follow, but they were also enamored with some of the sign gifts that were present during the apostolic age. When, when you get to see just massive amounts of miracles going on as the gospel is spreading all throughout uh, the Near East and, and throughout the Mediterranean world, and, and there's people that are speaking in languages that they've never even learned before to preach the gospel to peoples that have never heard it before. There's prophecies, revelations coming from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that in a church setting just like this, people would hear the word of God from the mouths of preachers like me. But, but now we have the written word, and, and they thought it was absolutely amazing. They loved it. They wanted to figure out, hey, how can we get some more power? How can we get some more of this, this, this spirit juice in us? Man, we want it to the full, right? We want to be speaking in tongues. We want prophecy. And Paul gives them a corrective here, and he says, you know what? All these things that you desire are great, but I'll show you something even better. I'll show you something even better. 
And so our big idea this morning is love is all the, always the answer. In chapter 12, verse 31, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. Well, how is love always the answer? Three ways, and you could write this down if you'd like to. First, love is always superior. Love is always superior. Secondly, love is always clear. And thirdly, love is always now, for you grammarians, you probably don't like that I ended the sentence with an adverb there, but we're going to see love is always. It is eternal. So let's take a look at these three things together. First of all, love is always superior. Again, the first three verses, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men, and if I, if I have uh, prophetic powers, and if I have all faith, and if I give my body away, and if I give everything away, it's still not meeting the value and the treasure that love is. Love is always superior. First, we see that it's superior to speech. It's superior to the tongues of men and even angelic languages. And there's all kinds of debate. Is that a real language that could be spoken or was that a hypothetical language? What's Paul talking about? It doesn't matter. What matters is that love is superior. Love is superior. Without love, our speech, even supernatural speech. If there was somebody here today that received a revelation from God that had supernatural speech, Paul is saying love is superior even to that. You see, what happens when we've got eloquent words, when we've got beautiful words without love, what does Paul say? We become just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, for those of you that have, 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 are musically talented, you've worked in symphonies and, and you've, you're a great performer, you know that cymbal brings that climactic moment in, in a piece of music, right? But if you didn't have the rest of the symphony or the orchestra and you just heard the cymbal, it just becomes obnoxious. Friends, our voices, our tongues... Even if we were to speak the words of angels themselves, yet without love, our speech would be absolutely obnoxious. Obnoxious. I know my tongue at times over these last few years, I've had to bite it at times. And there's so, so many times I've thought, oh, can I just pull it back? Can I just delete that? Whatever it was, that social media post, thankfully you can, but usually not after somebody has seen it. But our words go out and without love, they're just obnoxious like a clanging cymbal. Love is always superior, always superior. Paul also says that love is also superior to knowledge. Uh, it's better than perfect knowledge. Again, he says in verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand not some mysteries, all mysteries and all knowledge. It's better than perfect knowledge. All these mysteries. If you could understand all theology and understand all the nuances and, and understand how God is sovereignly working in this world and his, his providence and why things happen here. Why is there a war in Ukraine today, right? If you could understand all the mysteries of God and be able to come up here and lecture and give all the answers to our deep, deep questions and yet you didn't have love, it would be nothing. Nothing. Friends, there's no education, there's no experience that can outperform the wisdom of love. And my family, we've been so impressed just to get to know so many of you. Uh, you're so well-educated, many of you, and, and you've got just these amazing careers 
And I applaud you for that. It's wonderful. But oh, how we have to be careful to think that that is the mark of superiority of the Christian life. No, friends, nothing, nothing at all is superior to the virtue of love in our lives on display. Not only that, but, but Paul goes on to say it's superior to miracles. I mean, he says here, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love. Removing mountains, I don't even know what that looks like, right? We've got some big mountains in the Sierra Nevadas uh, in, in uh, Eastern California. They're amazing. Uh, is Paul talking literally here? I don't know, but he's talking about something absolutely miraculous. You know, I love it when people are able to pray and things happen. I just love it, man. And you get to see people healed and you get to see things move and you get to see hearts transformed and you get to see God provide provision and, and do amazing things in our lives through the miracles of prayer. But Paul even says that that even miracles as the result of faith are nothing. Love is superior. And so he summarizes this. He, he first said about the speech, if, if we've got amazing, eloquent speech, supernatural speech even, without love, we're, we're just obnoxious. But then he says, if you've got knowledge to understand all mysteries and all faith, if, if you've got, if you've got the, the miraculous kind of faith that can move mountains, but you don't have love. He doesn't say you've got nothing. Look at what he says there. Look what he says at the end of verse two. If I don't have love, I am nothing. I am nothing. Friends, this, this statement right here should cause us to pause, right? Am I, am I showing love or am I looking to the accolades and the accomplishments and the achievements that I've, I've made for myself? You may have degrees, you may have honors, you may have accolades and accomplishments, but without love, Paul says, through God's word, we read, we are nothing. We are nothing without love. Nothing. You may accomplish a lot or a little with love, but without it, you're absolutely nothing. Well, not only that, Paul goes on to say it's even superior to sacrifice. And this blew my mind when I was studying this. Check out verse 3 again. If I give away all I have, if I, you know, this, this great, this great go-beyond opportunity we saw on the screen behind me a few minutes ago, right? I mean, that's just that's awesome stuff, right? And giving away all you have, if you, if you started a plan to start giving like $1,000 a month to feeding the, the, the hungry and the hurting in your community, I mean, that's, that's, a big, that's a big price to pay, right? If you give away everything that you have and yet not have love, it gains you nothing, nothing, nothing. And it gets even more deeper than that in verse 3. It says, not only if I give away all that I have, but if I deliver up my body to be burned. Now, this, this is amazing stuff. This is the first century here, and, and the, the heat is literally getting turned up on the first century church. It's not quite as hot as it's going to be in the years to come in the, in the second and third centuries, but it's getting hot. And Paul is saying, and we know Paul was himself a martyr, but he says, even if I give my body over to be burned, Thinking about those who stand for the cause of Christ in the midst of persecution and say, I will not give up to my devotion to Jesus for anything, you, even if you take my life. I mean, it's the height of devotion. But yet Paul says there is still a way that we could have the height of commitment and devotion to the cause, to the mission, and yet be without love. And Paul says, it gains you nothing. You know, mankind, humanity, we've got limited vision. 
If I were to see somebody up here giving away all that they had or coming up here to have their body burned, I would say, oh, what great love they have. But God, he knows all things. He sees down into our hearts. It's possible to be able to do all those things yet without love. Today, friend, you may be going through the motions. God sees your heart. God sees your heart. I love that this church is about spiritual disciplines. I want to be about spiritual disciplines, reading our Bibles, going to the Lord in prayer on a daily consistent basis, but even that without love gains you nothing. It gains you nothing. God sees your heart. God sees your heart. Without love, all these things, lofty speech, knowledge, miracle, sacrifice, they're meaningless. Friend, you could be so close Yet so far, love is the superior and binding virtue that brings all our work and life for Christ together. It's impossible to live the Christian life without genuine love, for without love, our lives are no longer Christian. They're no longer Christian. Love is, is always superior. Secondly, love is always clear. Verses four through seven. Think about love. How, how, do, how do we define love as a culture today? It's so ambiguous. In fact, there's a, a, a really popular saying now that's just love is love. It, it could be several people. It could be multiple people. Whatever, whatever kind of commitment they want to make to each other or lack of commitment. Whatever they want, however you want to define it, love is love. There are no boundaries. And so now we've got something where if you call everything love, guess what? Nothing is love, Right? right? But yet Paul is, is very succinct here. Love is always clear. And you can almost feel him slow down now, right, as he's writing this. I want you to pay attention to this, Corinthians. Love is patient and kind. And I'm just going to summarize these here for us just a little bit as I read this. You know, love entails. What is love according to the Bible? Well, this word agape in the Greek, it's, you've probably heard it before. It, just, it entails a warm regard for another, a warm regard for another. But yet, the Bible's usage of it takes that warm regard for another and defines it according to how God has displayed that agape love. But in this kind of love, it's others focused. Just as God in his love for us, uh, in his, that he's displayed love for us, so also we are loving when we are for someone else. God has been for us in his agape love, therefore love is clear, it's for another he says, love is, first of all, gentle. Gentle. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Love, love is long-suffering because our God is long-suffering. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it says that he's slow to anger. What a God. He's patient and he's kind. Just this morning in some of my own reading, I was reading Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, and Jesus says, come and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. Oh, how our world needs to see a love that is gentle and patient and kind. Paul goes on to say, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It, it doesn't insist on its own way. It's not narcissistic. Rather, love is humble. Love is humble. Remember, it's a warm regard for the sake of another. Love is humble. I love Philippians 2 when it describes humility. It's, it's, you ought to think of others more significant than yourselves. Love is humble. 
When you see that narcissistic person, sometimes you might see that person like I do when I look in the mirror, right? Thinking it's all about me, my needs, my desires, my rights, but yet love says I'm willing to give up my rights for you, for another. Love is humble. Humble. Not only that, love is forgiving. Even when wronged, it says there, uh, let's see here, in verse 5, it says love is not irritable or resentful. Ooh, boy, as, as a, as, boy, as a, as a dad, <laughs> love is not irritable, right? I can get irritated like that at times. Oh, I'm so convicted even just reading this for myself. Irritable. Are you an irritable person? Are you at ease? Are people at ease around you? Do they feel comfortable around you to say, I, I, I'm, I'm fast to forgive, slow to anger, Love is forgiving even when wronged. Ephesians 4.32 is wonderful. I love that verse. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Isn't that beautiful? The idea of tender-heartedness toward one another. How often do you go out into your workplaces and into your community and, and maybe at the grocery store or trying to find a parking space, right? How many tender hearts do you find? But God's people are called to something superior, something better, something greater. A forgiving people. A people that are tender hearted. Paul goes on to, to describe this love. It's, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. You see, love is honest. Love is honest Love is honest even when it hurts. Love is honest. I used to work in a, for a plumbing wholesaler and we would put out bids and quotes for different commercial jobs in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And, you know, when a mistake was made and I'd have to bring it to my boss, he would go into, some of you might know the term, he would go into CYA mode, right? Cover your rear end, right? Right? He'd go into CYA mode, and it's like, well, we didn't really make a mistake. You didn't really do this. Let's try and figure it out so that when the customer comes back to us, we can make ourselves look good. And it just convicted me so often, and I'd tell my boss, no, I think I messed up. I think I need to let him know what I did. Love is honest, even when it hurts. Are we a confessing people? Are we quick to admit when we're wrong? Are we, are we quick to ask for forgiveness, admitting that we've sinned against another? And then are we quick to offer that same forgiveness to those who wrong us? Kind of sounds like the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who uh, have, are indebted to us. Love is honest, even when it hurts. And it doesn't step on others, but it rejoices when others are elevated. It rejoices when others accomplish things. We celebrate and we applaud those that achieve great things rather than living in jealousy over them. We're honest. We're not resentful. I'm, we, love, we love others. We rejoice with the truth. And then, I like this one. I like them all, but I really like this one. Love is optimistic. Check it out at, the, at verse 7. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. You may have a better term that you could come up with. The best I could come up with here to summarize these is love is optimistic. 
Love is optimistic. You see, love is in it for the long haul. Love doesn't just ditch out and get out, of the, get out of the way and say, hey, you know what, you messed up, I'm out of here. But no, love bears all things. Not only that, love believes all things. It believes the best about one another, especially in the community of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I see the spirit in you and you should know that I have the spirit in me and I see that the blood of Jesus Christ has covered all of your sins. So guess what? Because of his grace, I can believe the best about you. And you can believe the best about me. Love is optimistic. When you mess up, I don't leave you. I don't abandon you. I come alongside you. I weep with you. I plead with you. Oh, repent with me, brother. Repent with me, sister. Let's get on track following Jesus again. We bear with each other because we know that not except for the grace of God, there go I, right? We bear with each other. We believe all things. We hope all things. We hope the best for each other. We don't, we don't look at each other with an evil eye. Oh, they're going down a wrong path. Oh, Satan's got a hold of them. No, I'm believing the best about you, and I hope that you're believing the best about me. Love is in it for the long haul. A good friend of mine, uh, another pastor, he, he brought to me uh, like some mottos that, that he lives by as a, as a leader in a church. He's a pastor. Uh, and one of, the, one of the mottos that he had, which I love so much, was this. Trust before suspicion. Trust before suspicion. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't ever suspicious when we're given reason to. But our attitudes, because I believe 1 Corinthians 13, 7 is true. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. It allows us to be a trusting people before we're suspicious of people. When, when you see somebody walk into a room, like, do you have your criteria card that you pull out? All right, let's see what their view is on social justice and masks and vaccinations and politics, right? Are they going to cut it all straight? I believe the truth about you, and I believe the best about you. I'm optimistic about you, not because I'm naive, not because I'm ignorant, but because that's what love does. Love is optimistic, so this idea of trust before suspicion, here's the definition of it. When there's a gap between our expectations and our experience, we always put trust and not suspicion in that gap. And for our purposes this morning, we put love in that gap, right? We give people the most charitable assumption when our expectations are not met. What do you do when your expectations aren't met? I know for me, right, right away, I start questioning motives. Oh, they, they just really don't care about that. Or, oh, they did that because they, they, they don't care about me. They, they were just uh, rushed or they didn't care about my concerns and about my feelings, especially in marriage, starting to judge one another's motives instead of waiting and asking the question to say, hey, you know, this is what you did and this is how I felt about it. Can you help me understand? Help me understand rather than jumping to conclusions about our own motives. This is what love does. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Do you know that God is optimistic about you? He's optimistic about you. Now, I, I, if it's just Matthew here, there's no reason to be optimistic. But when we see that we have been covered with the blood of our, uh, his son, Jesus, we've been filled with the spirit, God says, I know I've got good plans for you. I'm optimistic about you. He says, those whom he's justified, he's also glorified in his mind. He already sees us there, friend. He's optimistic about you. You have a great future. Let's start looking at each other about the great futures that we have in one another. Love is optimistic. Love is optimistic. Well, love is always the answer. That's our big idea this morning. We saw that love is always superior. We just saw Paul make it crystal clear for us that love is always clear. And now let's take a look at that third point together. Love is always. 
love is always. He begins verse 8 by saying, love never ends. As for prophecies, uh, they're going to pass away. As for tongues and languages and miraculous tongues, they're going to cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away at the end of this age. They won't be needed any longer. But guess what's going to remain? Love. Love. And he gives us several analogies here. He says, you know, we know in part now and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. All kinds of debate. What's that perfect that, that, that Paul is looking to? I believe uh, that Paul is speaking to the return of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Because right now we, we have a partial and that's the partial is faith. But when he arrives, the, the faith is gonna be no more, friends. We're gonna see him face to face. I hope that excites you today. We're gonna see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. We're gonna hear his voice. We're gonna touch the, the scars in his hands and in his side and in his feet. Today is a day of partiality. That day is a day of fullness. And so he says today, we've got prophecies, we've got tongues, we've got miracles and all these things, and those are just partial. Someday the perfect and the complete is going to come. And he says, you know, we, we have those partial things when we were kids, right? You know, we were only this tall, and it's hard to do things, right? And we start learning things, how to ride a bike, how to walk, and brush our teeth, and clothe ourselves, and all these things. But when I became a man, it was time to move on from childish things. Friends, it's time to move on from our are enamoring with the things that are partial while ignoring the things that will last forever, Paul is saying. He has another analogy. He says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're going to see face to face. Now, I know most of our mirrors now are actually pretty clear, and sometimes that's a sad thing, right? Uh, you know, I don't, thankfully, I don't have any hair, so when I get up in the morning, it's not too bad for me as far as this area goes, right? It's the same as it was when I went to bed at night, but back then, they didn't have these nice, clear mirrors that we have today. They were kind of blurry and whatnot, so maybe we ought to think about, you know, being on FaceTime with someone on a phone, right? Or something like that, on a video, video call, and we could see them, and, and we could hear their voice, and that's been so exciting for me, those on the committee uh, here, it's, it's been fun to get to talk with them, but now to get to wrap my arms around them and, and shake their hands and get to see them face to face in the flesh, oh, that is, that's the perfect. Friends, right now, all, all we get to do is we get to, we get to know Jesus imperfectly, but there's going to be a day when the perfect will come, when we'll see him face to face. Well, what's Paul's point in all this? What he's saying is this, prophecies, tongues, revelations, all these things, knowledge, all these things are going to pass away. Guess what? When Jesus comes to the earth, I'm going to be out of a job, and I'm glad to do it. I'm glad to do it. I'll be out of a job. No more preaching, teaching, talking about Jesus, talking to Jesus through prayer. It's going to be Jesus is here. And those of us that are preachers, we're going to sit down there with all of you, and we're going to worship him, and we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. But there's one thing that will remain, not preaching, not prophecies, not knowledge, not tongue. One thing. Guess what that one thing is? Love, love, the deeds of love that we do today will transfer into the future. This is amazing, friends. When you do a, a good deed out of love, when you encourage a brother and sister in Christ out of love, when you give food to a food drive out of love, when you share your faith with a coworker out of love, when you help your child when they're discouraged out of love, you name it, friends, if it's done in the name of love to the glory of Jesus Christ, that will outlast this age and will arrive to meet you on the other side to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, friends. 
Oh my goodness, what a promise. What a promise. You know, our, these gifts and these abilities, these preachers and, and book writers, I mean, I, so there's some of these guys that I appreciate. They run circles around me all day long. Uh, and they gain a lot of attention in this age, but they're only temporary. But these will, are what will last. Faith, hope, and love. But love is the climax. Love is the epitome. Love is always superior. Love is always clear. And friends, love is always. It will never end. So let's ask ourselves, what's the big deal, Paul? I mean, you've just gone on and on for a whole chapter on love. And if you're familiar with this chapter, you've probably heard it read at weddings, right? And you've probably heard it, and it's beautiful to see. And I, I, hey, it's a great chapter to read at a wedding, right? Because this kind of love, man, we need it in our marriages, amen, right? We need it big time, right? But, but is, that, is that what Paul had in mind? I'm going to write this down, and someday, for thousands of years from now, you know, whenever anybody has a wedding, this is going to be a great wedding text. It's just going to be awesome, right? Is that what he's thinking about? I don't think so. Now, so we got to ask ourselves, so Paul, why are you making such a big deal? about love. What, what's the big deal? And, and I now have been uh, baptized. Uh, I have gone to a Matt Rumbaugh small group, right? And if you've been to a Matt Rumbaugh small group, the thing he asks you is, what's your deal, right? So I can imagine Matt Rumbaugh up here asking, okay, Paul, what's your deal with love, right? And so Paul goes on about that. And, and the first thing that we see, why I make such a big deal about love is, is this. Love is an essential attribute of our God. If we are representing our God, we've got to uh, follow him and model him and show his example to our world. Listen to Exodus 34, 6 through 7a. It says this, the Lord passed before Moses, revealing and reintroducing himself to Moses. And, he, and the Lord proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. He's giving his name to Moses, reintroducing himself again. And what does the Lord say about himself? A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. You know, if, if Jesus were in the room, he'd say, I, I'm, I'm the Lord, I, I'm Jesus, and I abound in steadfast love. What an introduction. It's an essential attribute of our God. First John 4, 8 says this, anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. It's, it's amazing, friends. God is love. It is an essential attribute of his nature. It's essential to who he is. So if we are called God's people, it is totally incongruous to say that we are not a loving people. Why? Because if you don't love, you don't know this God who is love. It's essential. Well, what's your deal, Paul? It's, it's not just that he's an essential attribute of God, love is. Love is essential to our gospel message centered on the Son of God, who is Jesus, the Christ. You know this verse well, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, if you were, uh, uh, our church does Awana. If you were in Awana a long time ago, you know all these verses. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were in our darkest moment, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is the epitome of the manifestation of God's love. That's how he's demonstrated to it a broken humanity. 
1 John 4, 9, and, and this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Friends, if you want to see love, look to the cross, and you see love on full display in the son of God, the son of man, dying. Although he was not sinless, he bore the sins of humanity on the cross for you and for me. The ultimate de- demonstration of God's love It's essential to our gospel message. You cannot have the gospel without the love of God. Well, what's your deal, Paul? Well, he would say love is essential. It's the essential demonstration that we belong to God's family. And he looked to his friend John, 1 John 4, 19 to 21, says this, we love because he, being God, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, cannot, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Friend, you can't say, I'm in God's family and yet hate your brother. It's as simple as that. It's impossible. It's, it's John right here. It shows that we're in the family that when we bear all things, believe all things, Hope all things, endure all things, patient, kind, tender-hearted toward one another. Guess what? God's smiling down and said, they're showing off that they're in the family right now. They're showing off that they're in the family right now. It's the essential demonstration that we belong to God's family. You know, you could open up your theology textbooks, your confessions, all these different things, but if you lack love, there's no demonstration, there's no proof. Love is the proof that we belong to God's family. Finally, Paul, what's your deal here about love? He would say, I also would talk to my friend Johnny. He would say, love is essential to our effective witness about the goodness of Jesus in this world. Jesus himself said, right before he was betrayed and handed over to his enemies, in John 13, 34 to 35, he tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is amazing, friends. This is our gospel witness to a watching community. This is our gospel witness, whether we're in the San Francisco Bay Area or Northern Virginia. How will a watching world see that we belong to Christ and put his love on display? It's when we have love for another, one another. You could, you could have all the apologetics that you want. You could have all the formulas of, of tracks and things like that to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But if you're lacking love, the world will not see that we belong to Jesus Christ. It's essential to our witness. Our big idea today is, is love is always the answer. See, all our culture can do is, is accomplish a mere parody of loving community. They crave it so much. They want loving a community, but all they can give us is a facsimile and a lousy one at that. It's a mere parody of loving community. The community of God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, through the indwelling of the Spirit and the empowerment of the Spirit, that's the real deal, friends. Real loving community. And oh, I felt it here in my few days at Fairfax Bible. I can't wait to feel it again on your way out here in a moment. But that's the real deal. That's the authentic community that this world craves to see. A people of genuine love which displays what humanity was really meant for. Loving community. Because love is always superior. Love is always clear. And love is always, love is always the answer. I read an article in Christianity Today just this week. Uh, The title of that article is February 27th if you want to look it up. During Sunday's siege... Ukraine's churches persevere. 
And I'll just read an excerpt for you. Both disruption and ordinary life were on display at Calvary Chapel of, I'm not going to say it, it's a city in Ukraine. <laughs> Andre and Nadia, displaced from Kiev by the Russian missile barrage on Thursday, exchanged wedding vows amid great celebration. Scheduled to be married, uh, well, now will be last weekend in the capital, the couple was instead sent fleeing to Nadia's home church, 185 miles southeast. With a request for an impromptu wedding, uh, this person asked, the, the missionary Benjamin Morris asked, in the middle of a war, a wedding? That doesn't make any sense. With irony, he said this. But during war is when it makes the most sense. What better reminder that even war cannot stamp out love. And what better way to say that we serve a higher king than to rejoice in the middle of chaos. And they were married on Saturday as planned. Nothing can stamp out love, friends. Not even war. And as, as we think about ourselves as the bride of Christ, looking to our groom, who is Jesus Christ the Lord, he, and we keep our eyes fixed on him, and he has his eyes fixed on us, he says, don't give up. Love is always the answer. Our, our culture today, even war, metaphorical and literal war across the world cannot stamp out love because it's always the answer. It's always superior. It's always clear. And it always lasts forever and ever. So what do we do about it in closing? The very next verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul says then, pursue, guess what? Love. Pursue love. He ends the book 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done, guess what? In love. As we live in ways that demonstrate that love is always the answer, we can show that even war cannot stamp out the love of God. Friends, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Keep loving. Keep loving each other. It's always the answer, friends. What's love got to do with it, Tina Turner? Everything. Everything. Love is always the answer. Fairfax Bible Church, followers of Jesus, we renew the vows of our love today that we've received from our Lord. We declare to him, our husband, that we can be fully loving Christ and living sent here today because love is always the answer. And as I get ready to close in prayer, I want to recognize in, in a group this size, there could be someone here today that has never received the love of God in the gospel through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I may have never met you before, but I want you today to not leave and go anywhere else until you've encountered and heard the good news about Jesus. I would love to pray with you, meet with you, talk with you. There's so many wonderful people here as well. Grab their shirt or whatever and just say, hey, I want to know the love of God today. So let me close in prayer for you and for one another as we get prepared to go out loving Christ and living sent. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for your love. How could we ever adequately thank you for your love? But we're here today to say we love you so much, uh, but our love pales in comparison with the love you've showed to us. We thank you for the reminder today from 1 Corinthians 13 that love is always the answer. It's superior, it's clear, and it will last forever. Let us be a community of people that in the midst of war or in the midst of peace or whatever the future holds for us, that we would be committed to the love of God that we've received in Jesus Christ. I pray that as these Go Beyond projects begin here for this next quarter, Father, let it be that we don't just do the deed, that we don't just give away all that we have to help another, but that we do it in love. 
Father, if there are any of us here today maybe experiencing conflict, I pray today would be a moment and a day where we ask forgiveness, where we confess our sins to one another because love is always the answer. And if there's anyone here today that's never received that love, would you convict their hearts and let them see the beauty of Jesus and his love and grace and receive it today. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.